and welcome to the One Broke Actress Podcast. The One Broke Actress Podcast. The The One One Broke Broke Actress Actress Podcast. Podcast. This is the podcast giving you an honest account of actor life. I mean, can we just be honest for a second? Plus a few lessons I learned in the process. This is what I'm saying. Nobody knows anything. I'm your host, Sam Valentine. Hi guys, welcome back to episode four. Happy Sunday. I hope you're having a great day. We're going to go through today's paperwork super fast. You know the drill. Subscribe, rate, review. Make sure you're on that email list. More goodies coming today, Sunday in your inbox. I hope you got it. Uh, And also, because this is the every other week, we have a solo episode coming out this Thursday. So make sure you listen to the end of today's podcast so you can catch the topic for that solo episode. And you guys can email me or uh, Instagram me and send me your advice for that topic and I'll include you in the episode. I hope you liked last week's as well. Thank you so much for listening to Kellen last week. She was awesome. Isn't her voice so gorgeous too? She's the best. Okay, speaking of listening through to the end for this week, of course you're going to want to. There's no way you're going to skip this because today I have on Alexandra Boylan and Helena Santos. If you guys have not heard these names before, one, you should definitely check out MissInTheBiz.com and two, you should listen to this episode because you are going to love these women. Not only have they made countless films separately, they've also recently made a film together. How they did that, why they did that, and all of the parts of it that it came together, we're going to get into in this episode. A lot of people talk about making their own stuff, but the the step-by-step process of it can seem so out of reach sometimes, so we are really going to break it down. In today's episode, we talk a lot about building your community of Writers, directors, cinematographers, producers, designers, etc. How to build that out so when you do get to doing your own work, you have a network of your own of people who you know and would trust to work with. We also talk about um, the importance of a full life outside of your acting career, which is just coming up time and time again. And we really, like I said, break it down of making your own work. These women are inspiring and hard workers. Without further ado... Please enjoy Alexandra and Helena. So we'll just kind of riff. Um, The first question I've been asking guests this season is, uh, do you remember the first time that you thought, oh, acting is like a thing that I can do, either professionally or for fun? Either one of you can get up. Oh, wait, are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hi. hi. (laughs) I'm keeping that. That is so funny. (laughs) I I was like, ooh, is that what? Um, that's so funny. That's and you can, if you want to say, introduce yourself for your voice, just so we identify oh, sure. who is you. Sure. I'm Helena. I'm Alexandra. The first time that I realized that acting was a thing that I could be doing. Sometimes I feel like I'm discovering that every single day. I'm like, oh, wow, I can still be doing this thing. Um, I think after college, because I had like studied, um, uh, got my degree, my BFA in acting and it was kind of. I was just, I needed a, I knew I needed a degree, so that's why I went to university for acting. Where did you go to school? uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Well, British Columbia, Canada. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go do this other program, but my parents really wanted that degree, so I did that. And uh, there was a lot of work in Vancouver right away, and I started auditioning and booking up there right away. And I was like, oh, I can make money for real actually doing this. I think that's, you know... So even when you were in school for it, you weren't sure if it was like a legitimate profession. Uh-uh. I was, I, come on, 
I mean, university, like conservatory university programs, all that stuff, like a theater program, you are not taught the business of acting no. at all. I mean, I just went back and talked to the graduating class and I think I blew their minds a little bit. Um, your podcast was on my list of podcasts to I listen to. I saw that. <laughs> so there you go. Um, hopefully they'll hear this episode. Hopefully they will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, no, I did not really know in school. That's sad, isn't it? No, I don't think that's a concept we're taught. No, which is a our- shame. I mean, it really, it's kind of like in high school, you're not taught that there's things like taxes. <laughs> but I, I think for me it was so in high times. school that I was like this is what I want to do mm-hmm. like five years old like I started in my father's church and then I did all my high school plays and I was like I love this this is what I want to do for my life and of course you know it's Julia Roberts Sandra Bullock back in the day in the 90s and I was like I can be that I could be a superstar yeah and uh, I moved to LA at 19 years old Totally chasing the dream by myself. So, so you just knew this was it. I knew that this was it for me. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a sick level of confidence. Yes. Well, that's what being young is so good because you don't have any barometer to weigh it by. I'm like, I just moved to LA and didn't know that you needed to buy furniture or silverware in an apartment. I just thought it was like there. You know, I think all those things are still kind of optional. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs silverware? Furniture is definitely optional. Mm -hmm. I. The, the car living is a real thing. Yep. Uh, so uh, I've met both of you through Miss in the Biz. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that we'll get to a lot about your acting journey, but I would love to hear how you started um, this female run around the business organization because that is like, it's so cool to me. It encompasses so much of what I love about that and about this side of the business. Um, so let's let's kind of start there and then we'll backtrack to how you guys met each other. Well, it's actually kind of how we work together and Ms. in the Biz and it's all kind of wrapped up into the same thing. Cool. Um, so back in... 2012, I guess, like I had been really involved in the digital community out here, Um, had a lot of friends who, you know, back when the writer's strike happened, seems to be like a very typical story, like people who, I moved out here in 2007, Mm. here by here I mean LA, because I'm back up in Vancouver right now, but. It's like saying you bought a house in 2004. Right, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. here I am, 2007, writer's strike happens, Uh, got really involved in digital, because that's what everyone was doing, suddenly it was like, what's a web series, let's make a web series, and that was Mm. brand new, so I had all of these female friends who were all suddenly this new multi-hyphenate thing because you had to act, write, direct, produce. You had to just do everything or find a tribe of people who could do those things. And there are all these incredibly talented women who were just in the trenches doing it all and we were sharing information with one another but I thought wouldn't it be cool if there was a platform where we could all share that information with a much wider audience of people. And blogging was kind of a cool new thing back in 2012, and I had been blogging for another site that was not industry-related. And so I thought, okay, what if I could take all of the things I learned from this and put it into something else? And that's how Ms. in the Biz was born. And um, Alexandra and I were working at a restaurant together at the time, and I asked her to come on board and be one of the writers to launch the site with me. So I started off with 80 women we had content every single day. There were like three articles. It's way hold too on, much to handle. On, 80 women. How did the you, s- you have 80 friends. How like, did you start? <laughs> right. Do, That's like, like starting friends. Instagram being like, I had 12,000 followers. How did you, <laughs> how did you, how did you find 80 women to launch with? And what was that launch process like? Because I think that's the minutia that oh. sometimes we, uh, we see this like very beautiful site with very good content. Um, and it's like, well, how do you even start something like this? Okay, good point. So what I did was a lot of 
literal market research. Like what do sites like this look like? What are the comparables and things like, and at the time, you know, I was even looking at magazines because I had done Marie Forleo's entrepreneurial class where mm-hmm. she talks a lot about online business. And so I was pulling like color schemes and fonts and how is this layout happen? And I really built it that way. And I was teaching myself everything at the time and I had people helping me. So I was trying to figure out WordPress because I heard that was the best platform to oh, use. WordPress is a nightmare. It's a nightmare, right? <laughs> so the site didn't look then like it does now because I also knew that if I waited until everything was perfect nothing would happen so I just thought oh it, that's I don't want to skip over that because that's huge well it's I mean, it's true like I mean not, nothing will ever be the way you think it's going to be in your head in the end it's all a work in progress and I just knew that I wanted to start this really powerful community of women um so yeah I did Marie Forleo's class I did market research to find out what comparables were I over, you know, since coming from 2007, I had all of these incredible women I knew because I just love community and I'm a very outgoing person and I love sharing information and supporting other people. So it's kind of something that organically happened where I just knew these women and I was like, come on guys, we're going to do something. Did you start like an email list to keep them all in the one platform? How did you organize me with like <laughs> post-it notes. <laughs> um, Helen is amazing. I mean, Let's just, just has say, different Helen skills. is incredible. So sweet. Everyone has different skill sets. So I was like, okay, this person would be great to write about this thing. This person would be great to write about this thing. Um, and when we launched it, I wanted to be really specific about creating a real world event. Cause that was also a, like a hot button thing. I was helping a friend of mine who ran a PR company and his thing was like, Hey, you have a web series, but what's your real world application of this thing? Um, so we launched, had a big party at the Roosevelt and we partnered with a company at the time called film break that had lots of dudes mm-hmm. and we had all the women. And so it was like, okay, a big party. We had like something like 700 people. It was people. huge. It was insane. How I went and I was like, Helena is a rock star. Like I didn't know Helena. I knew her, but we weren't as close as we are now. So I walked into the Roosevelt for this Ms. in the Biz lunch party and I'm like, Helena's like big time. Whoa, I can't believe this girl wants to be my friend. She's so big time. How did you, can I ask you a base level question of how were you able to afford a launch party? We didn't pay anything. They had, this is the thing, like you get things, you know, like you make contacts and make relationships, right? So we just said we're bringing a bunch of people on this day at this time and Film Break had the relationship already with the Roosevelt and they're like, we have this area of the pool thing, but then we ended up just expanding to a whole bunch of other areas and then we just kept having events and parties and um, to support what we were already doing mm-hmm. with the site and all the great content and it's one of these things where there's so much good content now. Like we've, we've been around since 2013, we launched and there's over 2000 articles. It's read by like half a million people all over the world. And it's not, it's not just like nuts and bolts. Like, yeah, there's DIY stuff, but there's also the wellness aspect of it. There's also, um, you know, if you're a mother, how do you deal with things in the industry and how do you like j- just all sorts of different things and spotlighting great women and, um, you know, we, we're to the point now where, I mean, I don't, even when we launched, we had, if Google Analytics is true, we have over 50% men reading the site, you know, and that's because wow. the content's great. But for me, it was about giving women a voice and a platform to tell their stories and really connect with one another and then create a community around that. That's- and so Alexandra was one of my 
first writers and has been writing for the site every month since we 2013, launched. 2013, wow. And then she put out a book with all of her articles. Yeah, I did. I published my own book from all my articles from, because everybody always asks me, can I take you to coffee? Can I pick your brain? And I was like, oh, if I like put together like a little coffee table book, I'd be like, you can just buy my book because the site actually, I met Helena in 2012 when we were working at the yard. I had just moved back from Albuquerque. I spent three years in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I kind of took a break from LA and I made my first feature film called Home Sweet Home. And I'd moved back to LA with my partner at the time and, and I was waiting tables and Helen and I connected and she and I connected through also like Bellflower, which is my buddy Evan Gladell's movie. And she knew that. And like Britt Marlene, I just kind of connected on these independent filmmakers. And, um, and then I had come back and I was trying to figure out how to sell Home Sweet Home or what to do with Home Sweet Home. And so I started writing for Ms. in the Biz on my first feature film. And those next three years was like the trajectory of my entire career going from my first film all the way till my third feature film so I was like oh wow like the whole side those three years I was pretty much like here you go this is how I started my career and where I've gotten all through my articles but it's also how you went from being a frustrated actor being not getting cast not having the trajectory of your career getting burnt on LA going to New Mexico finding your life as a filmmaker and then here's her journey so you basically kept like uh, a new school live journal. Yes. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and I did, I went back in time a lot in my articles to explain how I had even gotten to where I was when I met Helena. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, it's a lot of articles. You got to come up with a lot of different ideas <laughs> every month. It's crazy. It's, cra- it's crazy. So, so let's go back to you producing your own film, yeah. your first one, because now you've produced how many? Six. I'm on to my sixth feature film. Mm-hmm. I start in two weeks shooting my next movie. That's fucking cool. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. You probably don't get enough. I don't, uh, it's hard to look at our own victories mm-hmm. and take pride in them because most of us who have that, those kind of victories are already on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so congratulations because that's really cool. Thanks. How did you decide to make your own stuff? And then what, just like how she launched the site and had these first steps, how do you do first steps in that process? And then we're going to combine these stories because you guys did a film together, which is really cool. It was awesome. Uh, Well, in, I had moved out here in 1999, spent 10 years pounding the pavement as an actor and not being able to get an agent, not being able to book beyond like a very small thing. I just couldn't for 10 years, uh, kind of get a break. I couldn't catch a break. And I had a rough life. I was homeless. I waited tables. I just never had any money. I was just kind of 10 years um, flailing in LA. And then in 2009, when I was 29 years old, I literally woke up and was like, oh my gosh, I am just a waitress. And I've spent 10 years doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And I actually packed my bags and I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where in my brain, I kind of went there to give up, to find something else to do with my life because I was like, this isn't working. And when I moved out there, I met all these awesome independent filmmakers, uh, John Katie Graham and Richard Galley. And we all met on this film that I, w- I got the part as a, in a short film because New Mexico had a much smaller pool of actors. So I booked like right away what I went in for. It's amazing. And then I met these uh, guys and I was like, do you guys want, I wrote this like short film. Well, even, okay, I should say, I should preference in 2009, I produced a play. So after okay. not being able to work, 
as an actor, I was like, I didn't know how to make a movie. Like my buddy Evan Glaudel was making movies all the time. I should have just grabbed him and be like, let's make a movie. But I was like, oh, you know what? I could do a play. I don't understand how to make a movie. I don't have the camera. But I did a play and I produced a play. And that was so much fun. And I just kind of figured it out. Like everything, you figured out every day, what do you do to just like, you just get a theater space and you find the play and you find some actors. And then after the play, um, that's when I moved to, uh, New Mexico. And, um, also because I realized that I didn't enjoy the process of the play because back in, in my, the back of my head, I was trying to get an agent from it. So I realized that when it was all over, all that hard work, I was like, no agents came and no one repped me and picked me up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my mentality is fucked. It's time to leave LA. I didn't even enjoy it. It was always about what do you get from something instead Mm -hmm. of the process. Is that? Mm -hmm. So when I moved out to New Mexico and I met them, I was like, I'd written a short film. We all got together, made a short film. And then we started making web series in New Mexico. Um, A lot of the crew in New Mexico are working on big things like the Avengers and Thor. So everybody's making a lot of money in a very low income state. So it gives you time to say, oh, I'm not working for a couple weeks. Let's go make our own thing. Yeah. What was it that gave you the, the, was it that that gave you the freedom to make your own film um, when you were in New Mexico versus when you were in LA? Or is it because... Uh, what you were getting out of it was in LA, you were looking for a specific result, whereas there you were just kind of trying to do it. Like what, what held you back in LA that wasn't there when you went to New Mexico? I think, you know, I think about this a lot because I am like what happened where I think I got really stuck in a box in LA thinking I'm just an actor. I'm just an actor. Therefore I wait tables and I go to auditions and I try to get an agent. And I really didn't have a very well-rounded life. I admit that. I just did the same thing every single day. Um, you were so young. I was young. Right? I was 19 when I moved yeah. here. So, oh, you, were you know, I was a baby and then I got stuck out. in that mentality. And then, you know, you listen to people's advice. Don't be an extra. Don't be a stand in. Don't be on set in any other capacity as an actor the worst worst advice I ever got in my life okay that's we're gonna come back to that because I think that's really important okay so so when I moved to New Mexico my life no longer was about the end result I actually wanted to enjoy my life I was Mm -hmm. living in a new city I didn't know anybody I took walks with my dog and like looked at the mountains and was like wow this is a beautiful place like oh the world started (laughs) well that's that's a big part of the toxicity of the industry and Los Angeles Mm -hmm. right is this weird and it's worse now with social media being like gotta work work hard 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 so it's like I mean I can't even imagine if you were 19 yeah now yeah and dealing with all of this too what have you done what have you done that becomes that ruined my mentality I hadn't done anything so everything was right. about how do I do something so that somebody's proud of me gets, or somebody thinks I'm yeah, yeah it gets very result oriented exactly to a place where if if you don't elevate or if you don't like get the next thing within of you know weeks from one thing to the next it feels like it's a backslide whereas it's really just the long game so you're there you're smelling the air you're talking to a dog you're seeing the mountains and you're being a human exactly and I was a companion to elderly people like I got a job that had nothing to do with the industry I like wanted to and that gave me incredible life experiences that I now write about and people things that people said I can put that into my scripts like that gave me a lot of um perspective hanging out with people at the end of their life gives you a huge perspective of where you want to be and where what matters at the end of your life and I was so about success that I was like I'm gonna wake up 80 and be alone and have nothing to um show for my life because it's not about success but 
So when I met these guys and I had written this short film, it was really just for fun. Like I was like, I have time because it's cheap to live there. So it wasn't like I had to have six hustle jobs in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. I had one job and I did a lot of overnights with my clients. So I'd have days free and um, we all just got together. Rick Galley knew everybody in New Mexico. So our short film, we still joke that our short film, The Box, had the most crew I've ever had. (laughs) And then I've done all these feature films (laughs) I've never had that many crew members. Like, I showed up on set. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a real movie because they knew everybody. Did he kind of help you, guide you through the process since he had made films and this was your first one? And yeah, what, I mean, what, how do you, how would you tell someone to get started? Obviously, it's get, different because yeah. it's a different area, but the basics are the same. Well, especially for actors, the best thing is find friends who don't do what you do. Mm. I found a guy who wanted to be a cinematographer. I found a director. I found a guy who wanted to be a gaffer. People who wanted to run sound. Like, we always say that. At this point, I I worry about that only because I wouldn't... Actors can come off as needy, right? Mm -hmm. So going into a relationship needing something from somebody right off the bat, like you and I talk about a lot about, like, going on just, like, PA on someone else's project. for sure. And that's a great way to meet those people who then can become your friends, who you can then collaborate with. And that's what I did. Like, I did a ton of PA work. I was standing in on movies. I was, like, doing... Again, I opened up my horizon to be like, no, I'm not just one thing. I can do a lot of things. And And being there gave you the permission to not only be an actor be right like, you know what I can be a stand-in I was a That's stand-in yeah. yeah and I loved it and I had a great time and I, I made amazing connections amazing connections that I that changed my life and then and it was interesting because coming back to LA after making my first feature I realized that all those connections I'd made for 10 years in LA came back to serve me in a great way because it's the it's like I didn't need something from somebody they actually were like oh you made a feature yeah. oh well let's have a meeting now and I'm like oh okay yeah, now you have footage you have a thing yeah exactly. Why did you come back to L.A.? Um, Well, I had been in New Mexico for three years, um, and I was definitely felt like I hit the adobe ceiling. That's what everybody says (laughs) in New Mexico. Like, there's only so far you can go. I mean, I've made tons of shorts, tons of web series. I also didn't... I just kind of missed L.A. I missed home and I felt like now we have a feature film. We'll bring it back to L.A. I wasn't really sure how I would have sold a feature film out of New Mexico. And now when I look back, it was a good decision, even though it was a tough time moving back to L.A. And John and I were living here, um, the director of Home Sweet Home, and I was waiting tables. And, oh, gosh, I fell right back into where I live. Uh I was like, I hate L.A. But but it ended up, I mean, it ended up changing my life for, for, for filmmaking coming back with a feature film. Yeah. And the people you can make connections out here you can't make anywhere else. Because you had a film in your back pocket. Because I had a film. Yeah, I had a film to pitch around and sell. I maybe now knowing I could have lived in New Mexico and done it at the time, but I didn't know. I wanted to come home. But you might not have because it is with the fact that you were out here and you knew people and then you used, you kept parlaying one thing into the next Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, and I met, and after we submitted Home Sweet Home to like, a gazillion film festivals and didn't get into anything. And really that movie would have sat on a hard drive had I not gone to a women in film event and met two women called Bridget Bridget Jurgens and Jen Sparks from Dog and Pony Creative who watched my film and said, let's make you a poster. And that changed the trajectory of that film. That never would have happened had I not gone to that women in film meeting. I don't know where I would be today if I had never met them. Was it 
did the poster really do a turnaround effect? Poster changed everything. It's how I got a sales agent. It's ended up being how I sold the movie. There are some pretty good articles about it on Ms. Oh, the yes. Best. Yes. <laughs> I go in very detail into it in Ms. and the Best. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We'll try and link those in the, in yeah, the show notes yeah. for this. Yeah, I'll send them to you. Um, what is it about a poster that changes the trajectory of a movie distribution? It's your, it's your, it's your clickbait between the audience and you, and between the distribution company and you. Because think about it, if they're getting thousands of submissions, they're only looking at an image, and that image is making their, them decide whether or not they want your film. So if you can create a poster that speaks to your target audience in a very clear and exciting way, and you do all the marketing work for them in that poster, boom, they're going to buy it. And in a professional way. Professional, yeah. yeah. You hire a prof- it's, a head, it's your headshot. I was movie. just going to say, it's this is shot. like speaking like a headshot. Exactly. exactly. So, exactly. so when you came back, that's when you guys... We met. We, you met. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. take it away. We well, at, yeah, so we met. We met at the yard. Became very good friends. We did. Wait, the one downtown? No, no it was like, it's something else now. It's called The Craftsman. Okay. Um, And yeah, so then she started writing for Ms. in the Biz. Yeah. Um. Then, and I at the same time had been like producing, acting, et cetera, writing digital series and shorts. She and John then came on board a horror short that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander acted in it and did a bunch of other stuff, and John DP'd it. Were and you then, always into writing your own yeah, stuff? Yeah, I'd been, okay. yeah. I mean, I've been like a, a I'm, I'm a writer by necessity almost, and like I write a lot of really artsy poetry (laughs) you know my husband's like a like he'll sit down and write a screenplay and just be in a you know same as Alexander like they could just knock stuff out and love the experience of that I don't so much love that I like the workshopping of something the coming up with the story the like this is the character doing this thing and how about this and that's more my thing when it comes to um, features but yeah they came on board to help me with that and I was really inspired by her journey and I really wanted to start making feature films and having it be a business model like her and John were doing. So um, I did, I'm a very, obviously I like to do research and Mm -hmm. I'm very type A. And so I joined Film Independent here in LA and I went to like every single workshop they did there. Um, And it's so cheap. If If you are listening to this and you're interested in filmmaking in any aspect, go to Film Independent. And even if you're an actor and just want to learn more about the business and make good contacts, it's a great place to go because it's all these independent filmmakers learning stuff. So everyone's willing to like jam and talk and, um, and you were waitressing during this time to pay for your me, yeah. And I love I, I love the service industry. Like I actually would love to own a wine bar one day. Like I I have another cool. life where I'm a sommelier and <laughs> I have a whole thing. Like I love I love it. Um, yeah, and so yeah, to pay the bills, yes, waitressing. Um, although I did do other stuff too, but every single time that I did something that wasn't in the service industry as my job job, Mm -hmm. I would be annoyed because I was working for someone else and I didn't want to do that. Like I wanted the time I was spent working to be for myself. Um, It's so funny because I'm the opposite. Oh, funny. When I work a service job, I'm like, I'm going to die tonight. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I'm right there with you, Sam. I get so much juice from it. I love like being like, what's your story? Who are you? I love fine dining. Like I just, I I really enjoy it, which is, I know, weird. No, I get it. No, some people love it. Oh, I mean, for me, it's like I might commit suicide. I really, it it wrecks with my self-esteem big time. I mean, not not so much. Right. Um, So yeah, I joined Film Independent. I basically made myself a, producer's bible like my own like this is what a feature film looks like this is how I do this I just did a crap load of research 
um, because I was developing a film with my husband at the same time that Alexander and I started to put together mm. At Your Own Risk. Your husband? Uh, he's an actor filmmaker okay. as well. Yeah. Um, so Barry W. Levy, he's going to be like, why didn't you say my name? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. And I, John, Alexandra and Rick had been, you made three features before At Your Own Risk, right? Yeah. So yeah. So. And they were three, going yeah. the regular route using distribution companies and selling to major distributors. Um, and they're kind of jonesing to do a film for like no money and kind of going back to the roots of how they all started. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want to learn how to make a feature film a little bit. Let's make something. Mm-hmm. When you guys had done previous projects to the one you're going to talk about that you did together, did you utilize your own finances? Did you crowdfund um, or crowdsource? For Home Sweet Home, our first feature, John and I paid complete out of pocket. The entire budget all in was $10,000, including post and the poster. So we paid the $10,000 out of pocket. Our next film, our sales agent came on board as our executive producer, and we made our first faith-based family film, and he got the funding and we made the movie, which is the dream. So no, I had never crowd. I mean, we, we raised a little bit of money on Kickstarter. We did on Home Sweet Home. And that was back when, like, I mean, this is 2010. Mm -hmm. So right when Kickstarter was kind of like new and, you know, our friends and family gave us like a thousand dollars. I think we raised like $2,000 on Kickstarter. So Mm -hmm. I should say that. Gotcha. But it was also very new when now it's so oversaturated. Mm -hmm. I'd be afraid to do a campaign because I feel like everyone's asking for money all the time. It does feel very oversaturated. Back mm-hmm. in the day, everyone was like, that's kind of cool. Let's give these independent filmmakers a hundred bucks. Yeah. Now the first like, like, web series I did was when Indiegogo was just launching. So yeah. we were one of the wow. first things on there. And we only made like a grand because we weren't even trying to make that much money. We were like, what's this crowdfunding thing? Yeah. And, <laughs> and did, did you pay yourselves when you did your movies? Or did no. you know you just... <laughs> well, it's a questionable yeah. whether I still have yet to pay myself. Because <laughs> I'm thinking if you're... Because I, no. for me, to take off time from work mm. to work... Yeah. Yeah. For a film I'm doing myself is almost impossible sure. due to like bills and stuff. I'm sure it was a little easier when you were in the Southwest. In New Mexico, yeah. Um, but for yeah. for like being in LA, especially, like how did you, how do you? Well, I think it goes to kind of the root of the question of why are you doing that thing, right? Like, and I was, I was <laughs> it's funny, I was just having this conversation with some people the other day where it's like you can make art for art's sake, something to feed your soul. And then there's like the piece of thing that, somehow evolves into something else that can, you know, maybe get out widespread into the world. And then there's like actually doing something as a business. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the investment, your personal investment of time and or money is kind of dependent on what you want to do with all those things. And then, you know, in that like business side of making something, there's like the uber low budget side of it where you're not going to be paying yourself. And then there's when you get bigger and bigger budgets that you can eventually pay yourself you hope hope, right Mm um well I would say for catching faith our second feature after home sweet home uh we paid ten thousand out of pocket I lived in New Mexico when I moved back to LA I actually waited tables and supported John while he was home editing the movie and actually finishing it and then when we got the opportunity to make catching faith the budget was seventy five thousand and John and I were like well there's no way we can live in LA and 
make a movie for 75000 where we're probably going to pay ourselves like $1,000 because we can't take money out of the budget. Mm-hmm. We literally put everything we owned in storage, gave up our L.A. apartment, moved in with my sister in Wisconsin to write the script, and we spent a year living out of our suitcase to make Holy that movie. Shit. So that's how, if you're not going to be able to pay yourself, you pretty much but have to become homeless. You, you, <laughs> have, you really wanted to do that thing, right? You weren't yeah. doing it because you were then going to parlay it into an acting career, right? Like that, it was different. It was a different goal from when you well, went to LA to yeah. begin with. And I got to act and catch yeah. your faith. But yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean like at that point I like wanted to make movies and we mm-hmm. knew that like, I mean, when you're that small potatoes, you can't pay for a wicked expensive LA apartment and make a movie that you're only taking a thousand dollar salary. Right. So for a year from the time, we pretty much realized from the time we put everything in storage to write the script to when it was in post-production and we moved back to LA was one full year. We lived out of a suitcase. sacrifices. Yes. It's like, that's what I say. People always say that they want to do what we're doing, what Helen and I are doing and what John and I are doing, all of us. But do they really want (laughs) to do what we really do, which is massive sacrifices. We don't live this glamorous, amazing lifestyle. But I think for me, it would be a sacrifice to not do this, right? right? So it depends on what your personal goal are and I think that I, I know a lot of actors now who feel pressure to go and have to do everything and have to learn how to shoot stuff and edit stuff and mm-hmm. like do all of these things and some people it's not for everybody like we we want to do these things so if yeah. you're someone who actually has the passion and the drive to want to do them yes these things can help your career and actually like build it in a different way in a much more holy holistic way but there are some actors who don't need to do all of these things and nor should they and they should find the tribe of people who can help them you know just put them in stuff so that yeah. they don't feel the pressure to be you know making things and being perfect with all of those things too it's a lot yeah that is crazy. It is also incredible that you guys both have partners that are in this with you. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. John and I are now just um, business partners. Okay. Um, but we, but it was, I mean, being together for that time period what, did make our career work. Yeah. You know, because we could be like like Barry and Helena. We're like, me and John and I were like the perfect opposites. He's like an amazing editor, director. I'm a producer, writer. I'm like, I sort of start the train and he finished the train. Like someone has to be the starter and someone's a finisher. I started, uh-huh. I get out there, I'm like, let's do it. And then I like get everyone riled up. I rile up the troops and I'm like, we're going to make something. And then he brings it to the finish line and delivers it. Like we just delivered last week, Catching Fate to the distribution company. And that's like, all John Graham. Like he did all the deliverables. You got to have someone who can like get it, get it through. Look at, and you are the one getting the word out, right? And, yeah. like, and I'm and the one getting raising the, the press. Money. And we, you there. know I mean? And it's sort of like how with At Your Own Risk, we were kind of the same way. We're like, let's make a thing. Make and then John and Rick were like, we're helping you make the thing. And then we're like, we're going to get all the press for the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Helen and I did all the press for it. Yeah. It's good to find, like we said, like you got to find people that bring something different to the table. It's I will so say funny. like when Helena, want, we teamed up with Helena, I was really excited because Helena's a brilliant at marketing and understanding like branding and all that stuff. So I was excited to work with Helena because I was going to learn something new that I don't really, I try to do branding and all that stuff, but I'm mostly everything I know is from learning it from Helena. Anyway, so that was actually really exciting. Also, because we decided to do At Your Own Risk as a self-distribution. Yeah. Oh, wait, let's let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah, we so, talk about the self-distribution side well, of it. You and decided the to do that. Yeah. Yes. So, and deciding to do a project with a friend who is like, do I want to tempt fate with this, the relationship, like potentially oh, being a business relationship? But you guys never not even thought about it. No, no, we're no. both awesome. And we know we're <laughs> awesome. Like, we're not like, we're like super cool people. We're yeah. not like, like, we're not control freaks. No. We're not like, I mean, she's done a ton of stuff and I, we have both come 
together already being in this business for a long time. It wasn't yeah. like, I think when people have problems, it's because they're brand new and they have egos and they have to like, they don't well, get and it. We were they doing it, it for fun and to have really zero expectation. Like there was no pressure on it. We wanted no. to do something that was super low budget, that was really like innovative and different, something that we could act in and have fun in and be a tiny, tiny team, basically just going and shooting a thing and seeing what would come of it. And, and that was your conversation around starting it. Was yeah, just, kind, you wanted well, to do something together? We wanted to do something wanted together. To, yeah. We wanted to test out self-distribution. We wanted to be a female-led story, mm-hmm. female-focused story. And this is way before me, well, way before, like a couple years before Me Too happened yeah. that we were started to talk about this. Yeah. So there weren't a lot of movies out there of women in their 30s, just being women in their 30s who have jobs and like go on an adventure together and don't have to talk about their husbands or their boyfriends or their kids or their whatever. They can just be women in a relationship and some stuff happens to them, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Like, what's How the shocking? Is it the Bergdahl test or uh, Bechdel. Bechdel. the Bechdel test? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fails the, yeah. Most well, most like, movies check, fail the Bechdel check, test. check, check, check. <laughs> you know, it's like it's one of these things where we just it was a story we really wanted to tell. And I had listened to this super creepy, weird This American Life episode that uh, was sort of the genesis of the idea for I can't say what it is because it ruins the whole entire end <gasps> of the movie. But I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, and, and I'd gotten really interested in geocaching and I always wanted to go to New Mexico and I always wanted to like do an adventure. So I was like, guys, what if this was the concept of this thing? And we brought Alexandra's brother, Andrew, who had written their first feature, Home Sweet Home. He's a great writer, writes novels and stuff. And we brought him on board to write the script for us based on this idea. And so Andrew wrote a great script and it's basically two women who go on this geocache style adventure experience, testing out a game for a company and when they get out there into New Mexico, nothing really goes the way they think it was supposed to go. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we knew we wanted to self-distribute. So mm-hmm. we were like, we're going to spend as little money as humanly possible. So because she already had these incredible relationships through years of filmmaking with John and Rick, we could be like, guys, let's go make something for fun. And we had a lot of our own equipment. Yeah. That's a huge thing. We've built mm-hmm. our own, we've bought equipment over the years of having our own boom pole, having yeah. our own cameras. Rick Galley has an amazing camera. Uh-huh. So, I mean, really, it's funny because people are like, how do you do it with nothing? I'm like, you actually don't. We started with nothing. So actually on our bigger movie sets, like our line producer would be like, oh, John, you have to have this. He's like, listen, I can make this movie with a stick and a rock. I don't <laughs> have to have anything. We're like the opposite. Most people who do like huge budget movies can't imagine how to come down to where we're at. And we actually started with nothing, which is good because when you start with nothing, then everything else becomes a humongous bonus. <laughs> well, because then people literally right. ask, how did you shoot this movie? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's Alexandra and I, for about 85% of the movie, alone, in the desert, John is directing while holding location sound boom and running (laughs) audio, and Rick is there with the camera. John is sometimes also running drones. So that's it. That's we had four people. people. We're hiking to locations, like up and down mountains, like to this waterfall, and and, and it was literally the best time ever, and we spent 12 days in the desert. And I mean, we shot some stuff in LA, but we spent less than a thousand dollars to make the movie. That is, we so spent more on the poster sick. for Dog and Pony than, than we, we did, did on the movie. On the movie, <laughs> because and then we spent more on distribution to like yeah, self-distribute because you have to use an aggregator to get mm-hmm. the movie out, even if you self-distribute. What is that? Explain that process a little bit. 
Disturber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like uh, people are kind of getting familiar now around the okay. You have a script. You you shot it. You did a super low budget. You guys were friends hanging out in the desert. You got it done, and everyone had multiple jobs. Now oh, you and come but home. A, an important part of that too is that we had our post production team already locked as well. Yes. So our friend Lex, who's an incredible editor, who has now worked with them two more times, and me, I've hired her on the next feature for other things like we had those people lined up too. So we said, we're going to have a tiny team. We're all going to own the movie essentially because we're not shooting it for very much money. Mm-hmm. Um, you have creative control and freedom to like basically really collaborate on this story with us and what you want to bring to as an editor. We had a composer on board who was fantastic and it's like you get you creative freedom. So that was a big part of getting that tiny, tiny team who was on the train with you before we even started anything. Yeah, and we promised that we wouldn't sell it to a distribution company so all the money that comes back would come back to our team. Because we've, on our side of selling to so many major distribution companies, we understand how it works with a distribution company. So it was very exciting for us to go out there and figure out, first off, anything in this industry that you want to do, you have to do it before you can even say you know how to do it. So I wanted, we wanted to self-distribute because we can't say that we know how to self-distribute until we actually self-distribute. So the great thing about At Your Own Risk was a whole, just for us to get to test it so that we could say, okay, now, even the movie I'm making right now, like if I had to self-distribute that movie, I know how to do it. Yeah. And that's very valuable that it's like, okay, even if a distribution company doesn't buy it, don't worry you guys, because we know how to self-distribute if we had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and Helen was amazing in marketing. Well, but it's hard. Like it's really hard it's now because hard. you, if you want to, you know, even like five years ago, it was way easier to build your own press list and be your mm-hmm. own publicist yeah. and get a lot of press. It was way easier back then. Like it's for true. a short film, even. Yeah. And the market is so oversaturated now. So even like, it's it's a it's just a tough time. There's so much content, and like literally, like I have a press list that I started building. I don't know, forever ago. I don't even, like, what is What ago. comprises a press list? So here is the press outlet. Here's the name of the person who works there. This is, like, all spreadsheets, right? Okay. Like, Google expels spreadsheets, whatever. Um, like, and then information about them. If they move somewhere else, you have to, like, kind of, like figure out where they're writing from now, building relationships with those contacts so they want to write about you. Okay. Like, what genre? Like, if, if you're in the horror genre, these are specific blogs that are horror blogs that can help you get the word out. Even without your own risk, like I had a connection at Movie Maker because I'd written for Movie Maker mm-hmm. magazine before. So I pitched to them, hey, can our director write a story for Movie Maker about shooting a film for less than $1,000? So they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So you're providing them with content so that they can help you get the word out. It's right, it's a right, whole... Right. That's it's like a whole spinning other, a story. You spend a story that they want. It's learning wanted. how to be a publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on bigger features, they have an entire marketing team and publicity team to help with that. Mm. And if you are a tiny independent filmmaker and you want to get the word out, that's stuff that you have to be thinking about before you even make the project is how do you get the word out? And just to add, like, the whole thing is that Helen and I created this project so we could be leads in the yeah. movie and carry an entire film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's so awesome that, you know what I mean? Like, as an actor, you're it's so hard to be able to even get that. I mean, you're lucky if you get a few lines here and there on a show. Or, right. Like, we got to carry an entire film as actors together. And that's, like, right there. We created our own what we've been working for me like 20 years trying to be an actor then mm-hmm. I just made we made but it, I mean it is interesting because there 
we, we really knew that we would work well together. Like you can't necessarily do what we did with a certain mix of people. Like it has to be the right mix of people. And we were on a podcast where the host asked like, wow, it sounds like none of you guys had any ego. Like what did you do when there were problems on set? And we literally just went silent because we didn't have any issues. Like both of us are very like, what's the problem? How do we fix it? Like, there's, forget the drama. There doesn't well, need to be any drama. And when you only have four-person crew, there's very little drama to have because yeah, it's me, say, Rick, and John, and Helena. We're not fighting with any... It's actually nice. Like, yeah. we're just like, hey, what do you guys think about doing this? Okay, let's do that. Like, well, your <laughs> communication level is at 100. Yeah, like, exactly. There's no, there's no missing of, of that. So you guys come home. You have this completed film. Um, I mean, you, you have give it to your post team, obviously. I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys are very involved in that post process. Mm-hmm. And then you utilize your contacts to get the PR and then how do you yeah, how so do you self distribute oh, okay, so yeah, i have a friend named jason brubaker who has a podcast slash blog called filmmaking stuff and i'd known him for a long time and he now works at a company called distribber um, and distribber d i s t d i s t r u b b e r.com I'm pretty sure that's right. We'll yeah, that's it. right. We'll that's um, right. <laughs> they're one of the aggregators. So an aggregator is basically your middleman between here's the film, there's the platform like Amazon. Um, although that's not really a good example because you can you do, do it yourself. yourself iTunes. iTunes, you have you, to have an aggregator. But you have to really like know what you're doing, you know? But yeah, say yeah. with iTunes. So iTunes, you have to have an aggregator. So the aggregator acts as your distribution company who says like, yes, this is a real movie <laughs> that is delivered in the proper format. It's not going to go on your platform and like break your platform and be horrible. Um, and you, some of them, you pay them up front to help get you into that platform. Others, they take a cut off of like all of the money that comes in. It just depends on which aggregator you use. And there's a, a number of them now. God, I've um, never heard of this before. This is fascinating. Yeah. So, so we chose distributor because, uh, I am friends with Jason and they are great and we liked that we could pay them up front. Um, and that was kind of it. They weren't going to take a whole bunch of money off the back end of everything and, and we wouldn't see what we're really making. Um, yeah, so that's basically what a distrib- or what a aggregator is. Aggregators. If you're doing that to self-distribute, as opposed to doing something like yeah, they're like it's a company. little bit like the opposite of selling to a distribution company. If you sell to a distribution company, they give you money up front. They own your movie, then they can do whatever they want with your film, and you wait a long time to ever see the back end of it. Okay. And distributor or or Juice is another company. There's um. And you pay them up front. They put you on the platform. They step aside. The revenue stream comes down to you. But then again, all the marketing does come back onto mm-hmm. yourself. But the marketing, I feel like it always comes back onto you anyway. That's true. Right. Very, I mean, unless like it exists, you're a Netflix it exists original or on the it exists on the platform, and then you're you in charge of yeah, driving even, traffic. That's true. Even if you sell to a distribution company, it does not mean that they're going to put a ton of marketing into your movie. Right. I mean, Home Sweet Home didn't get marketed. They even admitted that Catching Fates didn't get marketed. They're not because if you don't have stars names or something that's worth their while they're not dumping a bunch of money into your film right so it's really still comes down to you as a filmmaker and that was exciting about at your own risk when helen and i were doing this it's like all the work that we do we know that if we generate even a dollar that's coming back to us Mm -hmm. as opposed to generating a lot of money for the distribution company who gets it all it goes straight back to you Mm -hmm. yeah did you guys make money from your movie? Well, we're still, we just came out. When did we? We've been out for a couple months. Yeah. I mean, we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're making good, money. Yeah. 
That's really freaking I mean, we cool. made our we made our budget back. Yeah, we've made. Yeah, our okay, that's back. so. Cool. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I yeah. feel like no one asks those questions. They're like, yeah. Oh, I made oh, a movie, yeah. and then I'm just hoping it makes money. I'm like, but do you make money? Like, I don't. It's and and what is the? Is there like a percentage that it goes back depending on the platform? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Thirty seventy split. I'd, yeah, it depends on which platform. They're all different. I think okay. iTunes is thirty seven. But it's one of those things, like too, where we're, we're not on Amazon Prime because Amazon Prime gives you like nothing back. So we're oh. on Amazon to buy or rent. Mm-hmm. Got um, it. Got it. Got it. It's they're all really different. And then like for right now, we even have our film on Vimeo for a while, so you can get a filmmaker bundle and see behind the scenes stuff. That like I was cool. just shooting stuff with my iPhone the entire time. So we had someone really awesome, this girl Sarah, put together a BTS for us. So you can get like filmmaker commentary, the full movie, and a BTS, and you can buy that using Vimeo's On Demand. So that's also a way that people are getting stuff out, too. If you don't want an aggregator, that's you can so cool. go on Vimeo On Demand, and it's like 240 bucks or something a year to have a professional page where you can then sell stuff. Um, so is that's there, also an option. Is there one platform over the others that most people choose for a reason? Well, Netflix is number one. Okay. We did a little survey. Where does everyone get their content? Mm-hmm. It goes Netflix, Amazon, and then iTunes. But Netflix is hard to get on to. Oh, yeah. Nef- and Netflix yeah. is a licensing deal. So yeah. you're not getting, it's not a pay, you don't get paid every time someone watches your movie. It's a licensed deal. They give you money up front and they own it for a certain amount of time that's licensed for. And yeah, and Netflix would be more like you're, you have to pitch to them. So Distriber, mm-hmm. you could hire Distriber, the company, to pitch your movie to Netflix to see if they would license it. Cool. Um, okay. But iTunes is a little different in the sense you can actually get it up there and then it's for rent and then it's up to your audience buying it versus the company having to pay you up front to own it. That makes sense. This I feel like I just got a crash course <laughs> in like I know, yeah. distribution because I know that like I can. It's the mystery. It's a it mystery. is, and that's why I like breaking it down because mm-hmm. that is it is a it is just another barrier that I think keeps people from making their own content. Absolutely, absolutely. But also all that to say, you have to be able to deliver those things like the deliverables, mm-hmm. quote unquote, need to be correct, and that's where I think a lot of indie filmmakers like end up going, oh crap, because they're 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 delivering something incorrect, which then takes them back to the like drawing board, they have to redo something because it wasn't done properly the first time. Um, so that comes with having a team that really knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, well, and it's like all right. So for Home Sweet Home, um, we kind of made that kind of like what we're talking about at your own risk. We made Home Sweet Home to just prove we could make a movie, and even to ourselves. Like we went into Home Sweet Home thinking we're just going to make a movie that our parents will see. We really didn't have any expectations because the truth was we knew we could not make a movie for someone if someone invested in us, unless we know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And people always say to me, if I could just get money, I can make a movie. And we're always like, how do you know you can make yeah. a movie? And do you want to fail on someone else's dime? I don't know about that. I think you want to fail on your own dime. Oh and God, that's such a good point. Yes. Like, and I like, if why I had someone co- else trust you with their right. money, if you haven't shown that you can do it, well, yeah, well, why would someone give you a hundred thousand dollars to make a movie? If you've never actually made a movie, finished the movie and then gone on to sell the movie and know what it's like to go through all what she's talking about the deliverables it's, it's mm-hmm. like it's like hiring an actor for a really yep. expensive job without ever seeing their reel or exactly. auditioning them that's such a good point 100%. yeah let me ask you guys a question because like from the miss in the biz standpoint you have a book you have a book you've made I have a movies. book as a Helena but <laughs> But regardless, regardless, you, you have, you've made movies together. You've made things separately. Have you guys ever come to a point, especially maybe before, before you started putting out like articles, both of you, 
where you hit an imposter syndrome point where you <laughs> where you wonder time. because I I think about this all the time. <laughs> all the time. Before I started One Broke Actress, I said, "What qualifies me to give advice to other actors, or what qualifies me to interview other actors?" Because I don't have that many credits. Mm. I haven't done that much. Do I have enough experience? Does my experience matter? Do my opinions matter? Mm -hmm. And it's something I struggle with all the time. Before you started a lot of these journeys, did you, and, and how do you deal with that now? It's a great question. I would say when she asked me to write for Ms. in the Biz, because I wasn't giving any advice at the time. <laughs> Nobody, I wasn't out there giving advice in 2011. But actually, when I had made Home Sweet Home and after we had done a bunch of shorts and she invited me to write for the site, I was like, oh, you know what? I'd love to share how we got to make a feature film. So at the time when I first started writing for Ms. in the Biz, it was just me sharing how do we make our first feature film, breaking down what every day looked like, like you're asking. There is an actual article about like how to make an indie film and it's breaking down how we did Great. Home Sweet Home. It'll be in the show notes guys. So yeah so like that is how I got invited by Helena to talk about it but I actually had something to say. I don't think anybody would have invited me to write for Miz and the Miz <laughs> if I didn't have something to say. Well I think it's a lot about <laughs> how yeah for me it's about how do I frame this like how like Ms. and the Biz for me wasn't ever necessarily about people giving advice and like saying how something should be done to somebody else. It was really about sharing their experience. And if that can affect somebody else's journey, that's what was important to me. So still now, like, and anything that I'm do, I do, or if I'm talking on a panel, if I'm like, whatever it is, I, I am no better than anybody else in any regard. And, and it's kind of weird because like in one way you're talking about imposter syndrome where it's like, oh God, I'm not worthy, but also no, I am worthy. I have experience and I have something that even if my experience isn't as say high up an industry expectation, quote unquote ladder, it's still valid experience because it's something that someone else can learn from and connect with and like authentically join me in that experience. And that's really important to me and especially I feel like social media went from a place of real um being really presentational look at everything I'm doing and while there is still that aspect of it there is also the flip side where everybody wants the authenticity and they want to really connect with people and even if that person's super 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 famous and quote-unquote successful and has tons of money what's their real authentic experience going through life and so I don't know I think I feel like for me now where I'm at in this point in my life, I know all the things that I don't know and I know all the things that I do know. And I feel really solid with not having to be anything that I'm not, you know, and mm -hmm. that took a long time and a lot of therapy <laughs> to mm -hmm. get to that place where I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. Like I'm on the journey just like everybody else. And this is why I think podcasts like this one are so important because we're seeing what it's really like to live an artistic life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is up and down and all around and it's different for everybody. And like, I stopped trying to use the word success a while ago because I'm like, this is a process. This mm -hmm. is, we're just going through this all together. And I can't judge myself. I can't judge anybody else because it's all a journey. And I just want to enjoy life. Like, I don't want to, 
be worried well, about all of that. And not to speak for you, but we had this conversation a lot, I think, in the beginning of Ms. in the Biz of like, what would we like to talk, tell our younger selves? Mm-hmm. And even when we, when we published the Thriving in Hollywood book together, that was a big conversation. It's like, this is like a love letter to young girls that nobody gave me. Mm-hmm. So I do, I totally agree with what you're, everything you're saying, mm-hmm. because what it is, is now it's like, I can at least share what I've gone through. And if that helps somebody, then it's like, obviously no one's an expert on anything. Yeah. No one knows. Even the people who work at Netflix don't know. No one knows. <laughs> Everybody's guessing in this business. You guys, everyone's mm-hmm. guessing, figure it till you make it all the way till the end. So it's so true, but it's like, we can at least share what we've done and help somebody else maybe either be inspired that, Oh, I could just get two people in a camera and a boom pole and go make a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We did it. You can do it too. It is yeah. that kind of like, uh, we can share what we've been through. And it's really like what I wish somebody had done for me. Like I wish somebody had sat down with me and explained all the stuff it was going to be on my first feature film. Nobody did. Therefore you have to extra mess up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So it seems like it comes from more of a place of inspiration than a totally. place of ego. And it's taking, yeah. to putting in inspiration over ego, which is really freaking mm-hmm. cool. Well, and I think because of what we do, there isn't a lot of ego. We work our butts off. Yeah. This isn't like, I, we don't live this like glamorous life that I'm sure people think we do. It's actually a lot of work. So I don't feel egotistical because I actually just want to inspire people because if you have an ego, oh, this is going to kick you in the butt and you're going to give up. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? I mean, mm-hmm. Helena, we well, just, I mean, it's the same as being an actor. Like how many auditions can you well, go exactly. on? Exactly. Like, hey, I'm going to go on another one and like, yeah, make it happen. Like it's all, it's this whole, it's, like a while ago I was like okay you know it's that whole if you can do anything else you should do it and it's so true I'm really sorry but it's true like if you can do if you want to do anything else with your life as much as like more than you want to do something in the arts please go do it because it's so hard and I'm like ah I am just this is my life this is my life and if this is what it's gonna look like forever, then I'm cool with that, you know? And I had to really have like my moment of coming to my own truth and being like, okay, this is my journey. And this is what it looks like. It's not 10 years from now. This is what it looks like. Cause you recently, a couple years ago, moved back to Canada. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I don't think I've ever told you this. Hmm. I was going to submit to you to be a writer for Miss in the Biz a couple years ago. And mm-hmm. I went on and it was like, the site has been um, temporarily yeah, uh, suspended on hiatus. Uh, on hiatus. And I was like, oh my God, it ended. Oh no, And I was yeah. like, oh no, I don't get to be a part of it because I had found it. And I was like, this is like so inspirational and like, I want to do something like this. And so it actually was part of the impetus of One Broke Actress originally. Because oh, wow. I was like, I want to go to a place where I can read articles about like, it's not just like, here's the new um, uh, Caesar salad recipe I have, and here's my <laughs> new spin class regimen, and yeah. my new living room furniture. It's like, well, I want to know like how an actress you know, balances going out for margaritas with her friends and then going to an audition the next day. Like, mm-hmm. I want to know that. And I was like, oh, this is the place I can find that. And I was like, oh, no, it's in hiatus. Oh, okay, I'll make it instead. Mm-hmm. So one, thank you for taking a hiatus because this probably wouldn't exist Amazing. if you didn't do that and if I wouldn't have found oh, wow. it. Wow. For real. That's awesome. Um, That's so cool. And then you you decided to move back to Canada, which I know has a lot more information behind it. Yeah. But in that process, uh, deciding to move there and have your life there, you've 
you've had a pretty good run up there in the past couple of years. Um, I'm sure it, it, it took, it took like a minute. That. It took a minute. Like what made you move back up there? And so, okay. So yeah, I'd spent 10 years in LA and was feeling super burnt out Boy, that 10 year mark. is really uh-huh. I know. Like, <laughs> The decade, the decade <laughs> does right. it apparently. I have to preface. Yeah. I have to preface it saying that I am a dual citizen. I was born in California, but raised in mostly in just outside of Vancouver, BC. So it's like a dream right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very lucky. And I, I went to school out there. I, I had decided like right after Barry and I got married, we really wanted to come back, like come down to LA. And so that's why we came down in 2007. So 2017 rolls around feeling super burnt out, just needed like to recharge and couldn't figure out how to do that. I was just spinning my wheels. I had fired my like umpteenth agent here. Um, you know that story. Uh-huh. And um, my grandmother was really sick and I knew she was going to be passing away soon. And she had this house that was built in 1948. My parents live next door. It's in the countryside. We have a salmon spawning creek in the backyard. And my mom was over the house. Like she didn't want to deal with the house. And it sounds so Canadian. It's so Canadian. It's so Canadian. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I was the girl who was never going to go back there. I was never not going to be a city girl. LA was my jam. I was not going back to the country. Cut to me being like, wow, this might be a really good way to take a break for a hot second. And uh, so we went back up to Vancouver and um, we got there and my husband loves fixing things up. So this was like a great fixer upper thing for him. And we thought we'd maybe fix it up to sell it. Well, when we got there, we saw the same agent that we had had the entire time living in L.A. And my husband's uh, quite a bit older than me, and he'd worked a lot. Like Your agent for... in L.A. or in Canada? Oh, sorry, um, in Vancouver. Did okay. I miss? I mis- maybe I misspoke there. Sorry. Um, we had the same agent in Vancouver that we had had while we were in L.A. He just kept us on the roster, and we would send stuff on tape for him up to Vancouver. Cool. And so Barry had worked a lot. You know, he's a he's 50 year old white dude. So there's like a lot of work for him. Right. And we go back there and he starts booking acting work right away. And I start auditioning right away again and getting back in these offices. And there's only 16 offices there, mind you. Okay. And then of those oh 16 God, offices, such a cheap postcard mailing. It is. And this is why I do hard copy mailings and not a lot of actors up there do. Like I'm taking all of the stuff I know from LA and doing it in Vancouver and it seems to be working. Um, so you know, I started auditioning right away and there's about eight of those 16 offices that do all the really big episodic TV shows, like American TV shows mm-hmm. that are shot up there. Um, and we just kind of fell in love with life up there again. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have all of this stuff that I have in LA. I can pee down here every few months, reconnect to the community, still run Miz in the Biz, have all these incredible writers, still do all of those things. But because I had this 10 year base in Los Angeles and all these connections and community, being up there is like no different than living in the valley to living in the beach. You know, like people yeah. don't see each other in right. person. <laughs> so thank God for I've actually seen media. you twice in the past year. I know. And I know. <laughs> right? It's so true. Like it's it's so funny. And yeah, Vancouver is I mean, it's exploded with work. But and I and I am very lucky because I, I've been working real hard up there, like building my acting network acting credits again. Yeah. Which like had a drought here for about six years when I was in LA. Um, and you know, it's funny cause one book actress apparently seems to be a really good little piece of magic for me. Why is that? Well, I listened to <laughs> Christina Ochoa's interview and then I worked with her in a scene on a million little things. And then I listened so to awesome. Nick's interview and then like was on set with him for the good doctor. And it's like, I'm like, Sam, can you please just keep having people who have shows that are shot in Vancouver on your show? Cause I think I, I can... need to go do a residency in Vancouver. You really do. <laughs> I know it's funny. There's some good magic there. I'm telling you. <laughs> 
But it did, it took me 75 auditions before I booked in Vancouver. So it took a while. Do you track your auditions? I did only because I don't usually, but there, um, I do because I just put them all in a folder and I, I got, I got around to like 30 auditions and just kept thinking like, what is the problem? Like, why am I not booking? Cause in a, it's very different in LA. It's so specific. Like I'm going to go, I, here's a room. All the girls look like exactly like me. Mm-hmm. This is a very specific audition in Vancouver in the sort of um, co-star, big co-star, small guest star land, they might be looking for a character that's like Dr. Ramirez, and it could be female, it could be male, they could be 50, they could be 20. Like, they they open it up a lot more. So that's part of the thing where I think when I got back there, I was just re calibrating with all the casting directors who had known me from 10 years prior. Yeah. So I think that's why it took a while to get for the train to get moving. But then when it got moving, they're like, Oh, she's booking book, 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 you know, it just opened things up all over again. And plus Barry and I were finishing a film that we had shot in Portland. So he, we were in post-production for that and he was editing. So it actually gave him a really good place to like be amongst all the Canadian landscape (laughs) and edit a movie. So that was great as well. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Ugh. You guys, I'm really enjoying this right now. Aww. So are there, do you, either of you have um, any sort of routines? You talked about how you, for, when you moved back to Canada, you started tracking your auditions. Do you have any sort of routines that keep you on a schedule? Because especially if you're doing a lot of your own work, uh, it very much puts a lot of pressure on you to maintain your day-to-day lifestyle mm. um, in some sort of organized fashion. Is there any sort of routines um, that either of you utilize in your day-to-day life to keep you grounded and focused on your work? I'm a workaholic, okay. so I'm the opposite. I need someone to give me permission to be done working. <laughs> and it's a problem. Like, I will work and work and work and never put my phone away. And, like, John and I, when we do things, we used to be up until 4 in the morning. And I, nobody – because when you work for yourself, nobody there's no clocking out. Yeah. So as hard as you're working is how quickly things will get done. And that can totally put you into a very early grave, working yourself to death, like at your own risk. It's all up to us on how hard we work. So I'm a, but, so I don't really have a routine because I already wake up and I just work hard. I just get my stuff done. I do, wait, I do work out. I wake up every morning and I'm obsessed with the Tracy Anderson method. Oh, yeah. And I do I Tracy. And then I start my day. Mm-hmm. So I, working out is a really important thing for me. But besides that, I don't really struggle with um, not working hard. Like I don't need any, I don't need a structure. I know what I have to do and I know what I have to get done and I get it done. Um, I've actually gotten better at letting myself relax here and there because I kind of have to. How, how, are there any routines you've put in place to, to clock out of your own work? <laughs> I don't. Or is it I don't have any routines. Okay. I just do everything no, that that's needs. To, I don't to have me. a routine. I think at it's because some I creative just... people, some creative people have to have routines. I feel like to function, they they structure chaos within structure, yeah. and then mm-hmm. I feel like there's creative people who having a routine feels very binding. Yeah, and I they can't get their work done in that. Go with the flow. Do what I need to do. That's really I interesting. No mm-hmm. And then except I f- for Tracy Anderson, except for Tracy Anderson, <laughs> it's interesting because I I am like that, and I was like that for the ten years, and then being in nature, and also you know getting a dog, uh-huh. <laughs> are two things that made me 
really appreciate the downtime, mm-hmm. like really appreciate it. And I, I was at the point where I think, I think we don't talk about mental health enough in this business. Yes. Please. And you know, like I, I was to it. a point at, like at one point where I was like puking all the time. This is before you knew me, but I was so high anxiety, so stressed out. I have OCD. So and it manifested in different ways at the time. And I ended up like in the hospital just throwing up and no one knew what was wrong with me. And that happened to me twice. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that it was just stress and yeah. just anxiety. And that's how my body decided to manifest it. And, you know, I, I managed it for a number of years. And then like I went through kind of a, whatever, a quarter life crisis at one point, started going to therapy and then realized like you cannot keep up this high level all of the time. It is not healthy for your mind or your body. Like, and it's, it's going to destroy you. And so that's when I started going like, okay, how do I, how do I slow down? That's when I started to go out to the desert. I would like take trips out to Joshua tree. I'd go out by myself. Of course, then because I'm a creative brain, I'm like, oh, now I'm going to make a short film about being in Joshua tree. You're like, it's that happened. But also it was one of the most amazing short, I did a short experimental project with a couple of friends that, um, was also very soul fulfilling. So you know, when you open yourself up to relax and put in, bring in different things from the universe, you other gifts come, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, then leaving LA and being back where I literally, I look outside my door and there's a heron. There's some deer walking past. And oh, wow. it, it just shifted everything for me so that now when I'm taking a break, I don't feel guilty about mm. stepping away from my computer anymore. Mm-hmm. And I used to feel guilty. Like, I got to make things happen. I got to hustle, got to hustle. Like, yep. I got to make it happen. And now I go, oh, no, no. Like, it's happening. It's happening all of the time. And mm. thank goodness for Christina Ochoa being on your podcast. I have, like, the books that are the most important things to me and the powerful engagement that she talked about on your podcast. Yeah. Her talking about how the fact that people say it's a marathon is completely false. Like, hit me on the face. And I was like, thank God this is a thing. And she talks about, for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, listen to Christina Ochoa's episode because it's a whole thing where you're in a sprint, but you need the recovery to be able to do your next sprint. It's a series of sprints. And suddenly I was like, I have permission now to enjoy the recovery as much as I enjoy the sprint. And if I don't enjoy the recovery, I can't sprint. So it's like, okay, you know, I had three months of a gajillion auditions. I was booking a ton of work and then now it's all quieter. Yeah. And I'm not going to freak out about it because I go, oh, thank God I get time to recover. I get time to actually breathe and enjoy my life and enjoy the the day to day. Go have a glass of wine and like relax and not be worried that I'm going to get called with like eight pages to memorize. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's just a shift in perspective that helped me so much. So thank you, Christina. That's that. amazing. Yeah. Oh, that touched my heart. I still, it's, you know, it's funny. I still haven't read it. Oh, it's, you know what? I'm going to buy kind it on of feel, Amazon, But I like also right feel now. like you kind of, that's, that's the lesson. And if you get yeah. that lesson, that's kind of all you need from it too. That's so cool. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about um, habits or yeah, anything like that. Well, also one of the things I, I I was trying to get like audition anxiety going back to Vancouver and not having auditioned at that 
rapid pace because I'd be going out like four times a week and some of them are one-liners <laughs> right oh that's awesome I know I don't mean to say that I, <laughs> right? I'm like I sound like an asshole no no, no 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 but it's I mean like it, well it's just di- it's just different now right suddenly I'm like I haven't done this in years where it's like I have one line to memorize for this but then I have eight pages for this like it's very random up there um and so I was starting to get totally in my head again and being like, Oh God, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I actually started going to hypnotherapy, which was freaking amazing because I realized that my OCD was starting to manifest in a different way and impeding me from doing the best work and auditions that I could do. So I started to have like that experience and, and yeah, hypnotherapy is awesome. And then I started to like really hone down on what my self mantras are for like in an audition room. And before I go somewhere, the things that are like really help me get in the right headspace. And I think a lot of that stuff takes a long time. At least for me, it took a long time for me to hone in on and figure out what are the things that I'm working through in my own brain that are not useful for me as I step into this audition Mm -hmm. and what are the things that I need to actually like give myself as a gift to help elevate my work as I walk into the door. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. All right, ladies, last question and we'll, we'll wrap, we'll wrap this up. We've already hit over an hour, so I'll get you out of here. Um, at 11, 11. Oh my God. Oh, something. That's That's something. (laughs) Oh, it is something. Yeah. Um, okay. My wish is done. Um, if you guys could have told yourself something at that point when you thought, oh, I guess acting is a thing now that I'm going to do, if you could look back and obviously you probably, I, I hate, I don't really love the question, would you change anything? Because I think everyone's exactly where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. for a reason. Um, but is there anything you could have told yourself or you'd like to tell actors now? For me, it was... Kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, I just wish that I hadn't put all my other tools in a little box and put them under a bed like and thought only acting is it. You can only be an actor. I really wish that I had been more open back when I was younger to write or be involved in something not as an actor. Like we said, uh, being a PA for somebody, offering to hold the boom on someone's set just because in my early years in LA from like 1999 to 2007, I just, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't even hanging out on sets. I wasn't meeting filmmakers. Um, the way I could have had I been more open and I should have been writing and I should have found a creative outlet because as an actor we're very creative people and I was I I admit I kind of like what we were talking about, I, I started drinking a lot before I moved to Albuquerque. I was working in a nightclub. I was a bottle service per, uh, and I was drinking and behaving very poorly because I was mentally messed up from mm-hmm. 10 years of struggling. And I think that had I been more giving myself permission to be creative in other ways than just being an actor, I would have and I totally agree. Everything happens for a reason, but I could have been a healthier actor. I could have been a healthier human being had I been a writing and producing and working on other things in different capacities. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, life isn't only about acting, you know, it's, it's tough. (laughs) No, I mean like, cause you you love something that much and, and you want to, work really hard and have it be the thing that you make all your money from. And it can, it destroys some people. It really, it can, you know, and 
I would just want to say, like, really enjoy your life. If you want to go for a hike in Yosemite, go for a hike in Yosemite. You might miss an audition. It's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's stuff like that where what what are all of the things that can really fill you up? soul, mind, body, all of it, so that when you go into that audition room, you're not just an actor looking for a job. You're really somebody who can bring who you are to that character and to that production so that people are like, wow, I really, that's an interesting human being. I want to be around that human being all the time, not just like, here's a cardboard cutout of someone who wants to maybe pretend they're in someone else's shoes, you know? Here's a breakdown. Mm. Oh, I know everyone says that, but mm-hmm. it's true. Having a well-rounded life yeah. is really important. You cannot spend all day. I did this. I, I, I used to sit in my house and wait for that one o'clock audition and just sit there at the kitchen table and be like, I have nothing else to do until I go to this audition. What a sad existence. Like, you need to enjoy your life, like mm-hmm. like Helen is saying. Like, and you'll, you'll be able to be a better creative person if your life is is full and rich with lots of different things. Because we all know we don't want to go to an event and just like have actors talk to you about acting and their headshots, oh, so right? Boring. I want to know what did you what did you do for your holiday? What did you do this morning? Do you like avocado toast? Like tell talk to me about anything <laughs> other than acting, right? Yeah. I want to know you as a person. Like Sam, what is Sam about? You, and that's why I think that on social media right now, like I would say share who you really are. Don't share what you think just yes share your great headshots like yes we all want to do that absolutely because you are a brand and you're marketing yourself but also share what's who you really are on the inside because people are going to connect to that ladies thank Thank you guys so much this is awesome this is awesome um tell us where we can find you guys find your sites find your movies um pimp pimp your thing well let's pimp at your own risk everybody get out there and watch it get it supporting watch it women filmmakers amazon Amazon? what's what's the best platform what's the most helpful platform for us to watch i think in the states you're in the states go to amazon if you're in canada go to itunes um, that seems to be the viewing habits of each country. Okay. And review us. Give it a review on Amazon. It helps us. It you know um, get to prom- Amazon will promote your films for you if you hit a certain number. So if you guys. Pr- rent it and review it that'd be awesome yeah us. and also we're super not precious too like you know like say what you really think it's yeah. cool like you know, if you hate it tell, tell us. us we're okay <laughs> with that <laughs> you can't make something everyone's gonna love no, no, <laughs> um, but yeah at your own risk movie.com we'll take you to like everything else mm-hmm. um on instagram twitter all those things you can find me uh my name is confusing it's one l and two n's in my first name so helena santos people always spell it wrong so if you put one n you won't find the right Helena (laughs) but yeah Google just Google me and all this stuff comes up cool um same yeah Instagram Facebook I'm Alexandra Boylan uh Twitter I need to change it I'm a Boylan four but I'm not a huge Twitter person go to Instagram um mustard seed entertainment um is my website for my films you can get Home Sweet Home, Catching Faith, and Wish for Christmas all on Amazon, iTunes. Oh, Catching Faith is streaming on Hulu right now. Congrats. And um, the sequel to Catching Faith comes out. I can. This is my first time announcing my sequel, <gasps> Catching Faith 2, comes out September 3rd. What? Yeah. You got to make a sequel? I made a sequel. That Holy movie crap. did really, really well. She's pretty rad. Damn. So are you, Helena. Oh, and of course, go to MizInTheBiz.com. <laughs> Miz oh my gosh, yes. Oh, yeah. Com. oh, yeah. M S I N T H E B I Z dot com. Ms. In the biz dot com. Uh, also on Amazon, you can get Thriving in Hollywood, the book. No, don't do that. Don't do that. 
don't, don't do that. Never anymore. mind. Okay, you can get my book. Create your own. Create your own career in Hollywood. Advice from a struggling actress who became a successful producer. Amazon. Alexandra Boiling. Go buy that book. So and we love you, Sam Valentine. Yes, we did. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing all that you do. Seriously, Aww. we know how much work this is, and you're such a gift to the community. This is like freaking awesome. We love you. You're amazing. amazing. On that note. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, all right, guys. I will talk to you in just a bit. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you were inspired to start creating your own community and your own network. And if you are curious about any of the things we talked about in this podcast, not only can you go to onebrokeactress.com and check out the links um, in the podcast pages for this particular episode, you also definitely need to go to missinthebiz.com. Listen, even if you're a dude, I can't recommend this website enough because of the amount of content they put out specifically for actors. They were one of my first inspirations to make my website, and there is just so much to learn in those pages from people in the industry. So go check it out. Enjoy it. Inspired by this episode, this week's solo episode with me, we will be talking about your favorite resources for acting. This could be a podcast. Duh. This could be a book. This could be a website. This could be any number of things. I'm unclear. Maybe you can surprise me. Any number of things. Maybe you can surprise me. But I want to know what your favorite resources are, and I'm going to give you some of mine. So make sure that you reach out to me on Instagram or via email. You can reach out at onebrokeactress.com, always, and send me your favorite acting resources. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a class. I don't know. Send me some inspiration, guys. We could all use it, especially right now because it is dead quiet mid-June. There's not really a lot going on. Thank you, as always, to Laurel Canyon Creative for helping produce this podcast. Thank you to Maggie Zabo for your beautiful theme song. And I will talk to you guys later this week. <laughs>